It is my hope that people don't forget this fight in a few weeks or a few months and that this work is ongoing every day. And as nurses, we definitely have a lot of power in this anti-racist fight. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Rosa DiDonato. And I'm Marion Leary. And you're listening to Amplify Nursing, a Penn Nursing podcast supported by the Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Amplify Nursing features nurses who are leading the way in science, policy, and innovation. Our guests defy stereotypes, define practice, and disrupt convention. We highlight the breadth and depth of nursing influence on society by amplifying nurses who are pushing boundaries and breaking down barriers to build a new paradigm. Today, on an important special episode of Amplify Nursing, we talk with Dr. Lisa Lewis, Associate Professor of Nursing and Associate Professor in the Department of Africana Studies at the University of Pennsylvania, as well as the Assistant Dean for Diversity and Inclusivity at the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing. Dr. Lewis's research centers around health equity and health disparities, and she uses that research as a way to advocate and provide a voice for Black patients. As a mentor and educator, she focuses on preparing student nurses to care for this country's increasingly diverse patient populations. We talk with Dr. Lewis about racism, health inequity, and social justice. Speaking truth to power, she discusses what this means from a nursing perspective, the influence the nursing profession could have to leverage the fight against racial inequity, and what anti-racism nursing might look like. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for coming to speak with us today. Hi, it's a pleasure. So we're, I'm really excited about this interview. We're going to talk about a lot of really interesting things that are happening right now. Um, But I wanted to start with asking you, how did you come to nursing to begin with? There is a whole story behind that, and I'll I'll do my best to give the Cliff Notes version. Uh, Ultimately, what it uh, came down to was um, I've always had a passion, uh, whether I recognized it or not, early on for understanding the differences in which people um, experienced health and illness. Um, And I'd like to say that started um, even in childhood, always having questions um, around those differences. Um, I'd say that my passion for nursing, though, um, really came to the forefront uh, in my time as a high school junior where I had the opportunity to volunteer in a hospital. Um, What became clear to me immediately was uh, the relationships that nurses were able to develop with the patients 24 hours, uh, whereas uh, doctors came in and out of the room in what at that time seemed like Uh, for a few minutes. Um, And so I think my passion for nursing um, started there and this just grew um, over time. What what were your initial nursing experiences? Where did you start? Uh, Yeah, so I started uh, my nursing career uh, in Mount Sinai Hospital which is in New York City, the Upper East Side of uh, Manhattan. I'm actually a native New Yorker. 
born and raised in Brooklyn, and I like to say I was born and raised in the Brooklyn that isn't so hip and happening uh, <laughs> today. Um, and I'll even go a step further and say it was the Brooklyn that um, if you were in another borough such as Manhattan, um, you couldn't find a cab driver that would take you to Brooklyn. So that Brooklyn. Um, right. So that's the context of, of, of my childhood. But um, my first job was in an inpatient unit, um, and people are often surprised to know that I started as a peds nurse in pediatric uh, oh, nursing. Wow. Yeah, exactly, uh, because my research is with adults now. And I worked in an adolescent unit, uh, so we took care of patients anywhere from the ages of 12 or 13 through early adulthood, so 21, um, with the occasional um, mid-20s uh, patient. Uh, that neighborhood, the Upper East Side of Manhattan, in which Mount Sinai is located, um, is quite interesting. And so the patient population we served uh, were um, of two, two, two backgrounds. Uh, so we were directly across from housing projects um, in an area that was then known, probably still known as Spanish Harlem. So primarily Latinx populations, low income, um, and almost directly across the street from those housing projects uh, were uh, what you would probably call million dollar, multi-million dollar townhomes. And so this hospital serviced both um, low-income minority patients as well as quite wealthy uh, and white patients. And um, I'd like to say that my health disparities, uh, health equity passion for patient care and research started there, then and there, although I didn't have the language as a new nurse to understand what, and explain what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, what I saw um, and experienced uh, was that my low-income minority patient population were coming in quite frequently um, to the, the hospital with exacerbations of chronic illnesses that uh, we know could be managed at home, um, whereas my white and wealthy patients who were experiencing some of the same chronic illnesses did not come in as frequently. Mm -hmm. So that became really clear to me. And so in a sense, um, even though research was not on my mind, um, taking care of my patients at that time, that was sort of my first laboratory into health disparities lens, um, a health disparities lens, a health disparities um, approach. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that very interesting, but again, didn't really have the tools um, or the language to appreciate what was happening at that time. So you started off in PEDS and then you found your interest in health disparities research. So can you talk a little bit about what are some of the contributors to health disparities? Yeah, again, how much time do we have, Angela? Yeah. <laughs> and so what we know to be contributors to health disparities are um, a set of infrastructure and systematic 
barriers to um, equitable health care services and health care resources uh, for uh, poor patients uh, and minority patients. We have spoken to other people on the podcast who've talked a little bit about uh, health care disparities in, um, you know, minority populations as well. And, you know, specifically, we talked to Dr. Um, Sasha James Contarelli, who talked about disparities in um, OB patients and, you know, pointed out that, you know, even the so taking the socioeconomic aspect out of it. So educated, resourced um, minority women were still having disparities in care when compared to their white counterparts. Yes. And, um, you know, so the question for me as a clinician is, you know, how does that happen? Like, how do, how am I contributing to that? Because clearly I am. Yes. Uh, and so, and Angela, I know you. And so um, some of what I will share doesn't directly link to you as a, a, a patient, uh, patient provider. Um, but uh, what we know is that uh, bias plays a role in some of these disparities and bias on, on the part of the healthcare provider. Um, we know that there um, is discrimination and that there is racism that happens in the healthcare setting. Um, I think often the lack of advocacy for our patients um, who experience some of uh, these negative encounters in the, the healthcare setting, as well as um, patients who don't have accesses to the healthcare resources that they need. Um, advocacy or lack of it um, also contributes to that. So um, you're absolutely right. Um, even in the work that I do with um, African Americans or blacks who um, are diagnosed with hypertension and bear some of the most disproportionate um, burden and disparities associated with their blood pressure control when we do control for education, income, and even insurance status, um, we still see these uh, pressing uh, disparities. Um, and so the, the unspoken, um, but now quite being spoken quite loudly mm -hmm. um, in, the, in these recent weeks um, is is racism, bias, discrimination, and lack of advocacy, I would argue. Um, and I, I think nursing has a huge role in um, striking a blow against some of these healthcare injustices. Um, nursing is the nation's largest healthcare profession. Uh, with more than um, roughly 3.8 million registered nurses in the United States, roughly half of them working on a general medical and surgical um, inpatient units. Um, can you imagine the power nursing could leverage um, in this fight against uh, healthcare injustices? Yeah, I, I agree, and that's part of the reason why you know, we think it's so important to amplify 
voices like yours mm-hmm. to sort of lead that change and point us in the direction that we need to go. When you consider nursing and not to generalize, but, you know, I think, you know, that most people go into nursing to be of service to people, to take care of people. So how does the nursing lens look at inequality and social justice um, in a different way than, you know, your typical civilian lens? So I want to remind uh, us that um, nursing, for as long as it has been a profession, and even before being a formalized profession, um, though it does have its own troubling uh, past, and um, we could even argue current um, relationship with racism, um, we have a wealth of um, nursing uh, for for people who have fought against racism, bias, and discrimination. Um, so when we think about um, the late 19th and early 20th centuries, the Henry Street nurses, for example, who took care of the poor and disenfranchised who lived um, you know, in the tenements of the Lower East Side. Um, we think about the 1940s um, and the black angels who took care of patients, so black nurses um, who took care of patients with tuberculosis when white nurses actually refused, right? Um, we have remarkable role models in nurses who were freedom fighters, um, who provided health care to poor black sharecroppers um, and who marched alongside Dr. Martin Luther King um, during the civil rights movement, um, all the way to present day um, nurses who are on the forefront of caring for COVID-19 patients, even in um, the middle of substandard um, conditions for their employment, lack of PPE, for example, um, much like the nurses who took care of patients who lived with and died um, from AIDS in the 1980s. So Mm -hmm. we have a history, nursing has a history of this fight, this fight against healthcare injustices. Um, It is our core mission, social justice. Um, It is in our nursing code of ethics to be advocates for all of our patients, right? So our code of ethics don't say we have to be advocates only for our white patients, Mm -hmm. uh, only for our wealthy patients. That is all of our patients. Um, And so it is definitely, um, as I think I like to call it, this fight against healthcare injustice um, is in nursing's DNA. It is very much the core principle um, of what we do as nurses. And, and that's a nurse who is at the bedside. That's a nurse who's in the community. It's a nurse who's in the classroom. It's a nurse who's doing research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that as a profession, we're in such a great place to point out the injustices um, from multiple angles. 
And I think the healthcare disparities is a great place to start because it's kind of in our backyard, but it it highlights all of the other social aspects of things that are that are going on. What have you thought about the current state of the protesting and all of the things that are going on right now? We're talking specifically about the George Floyd um, protests. Yes. So w- what, what, how are you thinking about that? Not just from a nursing lens, but you're, sure. this is about you and, and the people that yeah. you love and you care about. So, um, as, uh, a health equity researcher who's been doing this work for 17 years and as, um, the School of Nursing's Assistant Dean for Diversity and Inclusivity. Um, I'm actually quite excited at um, the amount of awareness. The, pro- the protests are exciting for me um, because it is raising awareness of, of issues that, um, that are not new. Uh, we know that they have been going on for even more than decades, for hundreds of years. Um, as Lisa, um, a black woman who um, has grown up, um, experienced racism, has been called the N-word, um, has, has been told that, um, oh, take a deep breath here, um, has been told that uh, she wasn't good enough for nursing school. Uh, has seen uh, black men in her family um, experience the, the 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 brutality from law enforcement that we've seen. Um, it it it's sort of not that one needs uh, any type of validation for your experiences, but it, you get to a point where I don't know how I can explain these injustices anymore. Um, and I think we've reached a time where it's, it's just very undeniable what we saw happen to Mr. Floyd, um, even for, to individuals who, who may not have fully understood or appreciated the the level of um, racism that that individuals experience to the point that they are killed for the color of their skin. Um, so I think we are in this country at a pivotal point where we may be able to make substantial changes. What I do fear though, um, is what happens in a couple of weeks when this frenzy and fervor and the media attention dies down. Um, Do we go back to just sort of saying that it's important to fight racism, but not really doing the hard work? Um, And so for me, I, I, I am... I've reached a point where I think we can make a shift in this country, but it's going to require work even after all the protesting is done. And that's where I fear we may, you know, we may fall off a little bit. 
I think that that's, um, I think that's absolutely an appropriate fear to have because, you know, we, we've definitely seen these things before and they, they do move over as a culture. I feel like we're a little ADD ish. Um, you know, the next thing <laughs> pops up, you know exactly. what I mean? And we're, and we're hooked by that. And then we're, we're running, running the other way. Exactly, Angela. Um, and for me, if, if I had a wish, you know, like a genie and a wish, um, for me, it would be that we think about, there are some immediate short-term strategies that we can use to address these injustices. Um, but I think the really significant and impactful thing that we can do is to think about, to think really strategically about what the long-term um, strategies are. Um, that we can put in place, and that requires working together collaboratively. Um, I feel like the diversity and equity work has been quite siloed. Um, while it's important to have an office or an individual um, devoted to diversity, equity, social justice, um, inclusivity. It's really important to have a center, if you will, um, where resources can be coordinated. Um, but I think it's really important that we we think of, we collaborate in ways that we haven't before, um, and this will require that leaders um, lead with diversity, even if you're not the diversity person. <laughs> um, I always, um, my my colleagues in the nursing school, um, I, I think they at this point think I'm a broken record, uh, but we have different departments, right? So we have. Um, an Office of Nursing Research or an Associate Dean for Research. We have an Office of Academic Affairs, right? Um, so education, research. Um, no one expects those offices to write all of the grants, right? Like that has to be other folks doing it. No one expects that office to teach all the courses. Um, and in the same way, and many of my colleagues who are in these respective diversity roles, you know, we, we sort of, um, we talk about it. And why is it then that um, diversity should just be one person's job? It shouldn't, it isn't, right? And I think now we see um, individuals who are fired up and it's amazing to see that. And I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten from individuals who say, what can I do to help? You know, how can I, I, I help in the anti-racist fight? Um, and I'm thrilled. Um, and my response to them is, I love that you're so fired up. And we need you now. And we also need you two weeks from now two months from now, two years from now. So I don't know if that makes sense, um, but this work is ongoing. Um, diversity is not a one and done. It's not, let's implement a committee to fix everything. 
Mm-hmm. It's not let's uh, think of one policy that will just automatically make everyone um, anti-racist or anti-biased. <laughs> um, it's a series of thoughts, actions, um, discussions, activities that are ongoing, that are daily. So it's as small as thinking about um, the documents you prepare for your coursework. How is diversity included in that? How are you thinking about different populations, no matter what the course is, mm-hmm. um, to something as um, as meaningful as um, how are we assessing um, job performances? Is diversity a part of the rubric we use when we think about how well someone's performing in their role. It has to be seen in the day-to-day actions of the work we do, and it has to be front and center. Otherwise, we won't be able to make the meaningful change that we are all clamoring for in this moment. So we can't forget about it. Um, And I'd like to argue that um, activism is great, um, and I think we need more activists, excuse me. Um, But I also think that um, you don't become an activist overnight. Um, and you may have, we may have missed many ways in which we could be activists just in our day-to-day interactions, just in the work that we do. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be protesting. Um, it could be advocating for the care that you provide to your patients. That's a form of activism, one that we know well as nurses. I I understand what you're saying about you, your role and how you feel maybe sometimes like a broken record, like you're the only one, you know, the only person talking about diversity all the time. Um, So with that being said, what are your thoughts moving forward? How are you planning on leading yeah. What are what are some of your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah. So um, I have thoughts, lots of them, <laughs> yeah. and Marion. So <laughs> forgive me. I, I will try not to take up a lot of time. Um, but I'd first like to say that um, I frame this. Um, so the leading of this diversity effort, um, equity effort fight against injustices. Though I hold the title as assistant dean, I'd like to say I lead with other individuals, so it's not just myself. I'm thinking if I were you, you know, and I'd like, like if, if I were you and I were in your position and I had the opportunity, you know, with your power and position to affect change, how would I want to do it? Like if, if you had, if the Dean was just like, go Lisa, do you, and there were no rules, like what, what are the kind of things that you would like to do or see? Kind of like an exercise in imagination. Probably the first thing (laughs) that I would do is capitalize on the vigor (laughs) and the level of interest in doing this work. 
um, that has arisen in the past couple of weeks. I think it's reestablishing and strengthening partnerships with other departments in the school um, is probably a really good first step. And thinking through how to diffuse diversity and inclusivity um, throughout throughout the mission of the school. So that's having really tough conversations with um, the other associate deans and the department chairs in the school about how we can mobilize and affect change. Um, we have an amazing diversity and inclusivity advisory committee um, in the School of Nursing who has already started some of this fabulous and amazing work in moving towards a more inclusive environment. Um, so I can't even begin to talk about future strategies without talking about some of the things that we've already established. Um, I think that this is a moment where that particular committee, um, DIAC as it's affectionately known in the School of Nursing, um, is primed and ready to even propel forward um, just even stronger initiatives. I think people at this point are hungry um, and ready. And so whereas um, folks may not have Although no one says that diversity um, is not important and anti-racist work is not important, I think there's a hunger now for um, folks to just roll up their sleeves and do the work. Um, I think that that's probably a, a good place to start, just mobilizing individuals who are ready to do the work. Um, I've been doing this work for a long time. That does not mean I have all the answers. And I think that that's important to share and to state, um, to share that small amount of vulnerability. Um, and this is the time for new ideas. This is the time uh, for people to take a hard look at the ways that they have or have not been engaging in the work. And I think. Um, if I had unlimited resources, that's probably where I would start. What are the ways in which we have engaged in this work? And what are the ways in which we have not engaged in this work? The other thing is taking a look at practices that may no longer serve us. Um, you know, the first inclination that folks have and currently have are to add new things to promote diversity and to promote anti-racism. Whereas there may be some things we need to think about removing um, to promote this work. So taking a hard look at practices um, that do not serve us in, in the work and moving it forward. Um, and lastly, um, because we are a school of nursing and that, that serves as my context, taking a hard look at um, the ways in which we educate our students. You know, we, we have conversations about um, how well our cur current curriculum um, 
focuses on on social justice. Um, and although we didn't term it, um, really looking at the ways in which we um, foster anti-racist um, learning, um, I think we are at a prime time um, and positioned really well um, to take a hard look at strengthening our curriculum with student input, um, with input from all of our faculty um, who teach in the school and who teach out in the clinical settings, um, really taking a hard look at the ways in which we are training our next generation of nurses, um, and that's nurses um, at uh, the bedside, advanced practice nurses, and nurses we're training to be scientists. So those are my three sort of <laughs> wish lists. Um, and they're not easy by any chance. And they are not things, um, and I will be the first one to say so, that will change um, racism overnight. But they are things that we can put into place so that uh, we can do so. Yes, I think that they're all fantastic things. Do you, do you see it to be more of a challenge bringing this to graduate students versus bringing it to the undergrads? Not at all. <laughs> okay. Um, and so maybe, I don't know if I understood the question. Um, I actually um, think that graduate students, because and whether they are um, uh, graduate students in our advanced practice programs or those in our um, doctoral programs, because many, if not all of them, would have had some interaction in, in um, practice in some way, in some sense, they they have a foundation and, and they've seen uh, sort of the injustices that maybe our undergraduates have not quite understood because they haven't been in practice, although um, they may see it um, as they are in their uh, clinical rotations. But um, I, I, I think because there is a foundation already in place our graduate students, and maybe they're at um, a space in their career, academic and, and professional, where um, we can have the conversations that we need to have about what this work looks like. I'll tell you, quite frankly, a lot of my, um, a lot of the graduate students we have uh, in the School of Nursing have been some of the biggest champions for this anti-racist work and have been some of the most exceptional partners when it comes to moving uh, this work and initiatives forward. Um, so I have actually found in my role that graduate students have not been the biggest challenge. Um, I'd say undergraduates 
might pose a little bit more of a challenge, though we are finding them to be more voiced, which is great, um, around anti-racist nursing, if you will. So I've just coined mm-hmm. that, anti-racist nursing. Um, so I don't know if that was what you were getting at, or maybe there was a different um context for your question no that answered my question perfectly Mm -hmm. i i was thinking Mm -hmm. um from my perspective that there are sometimes we end up with challenges with the graduate students because of their experience so they come in and we it's almost like unlearning bad habits yeah and that was that was the question but i think that your perspective is um your perspective is a great perspective and i'm happy to yeah, that makes me feel better that that's your <laughs> yeah. experience versus, you know, no, they learned a whole bunch of terrible things already. So, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think um, that yes, and I'm, I'm not again. So I'm not saying that's all of our graduate students, but no, I think we do have, you know, enough numbers that. Um, you know, this, you know, who've experienced enough of the bad practices to say that this isn't right and appropriate and we need to do better. So you should have hope. Right. Yes. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm typically uh, a pathological optimist. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to balance that with a healthy dose of cynicism in to make it how am I not looking at this in such an optimistic view that it's not helpful? You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. But anyway, that's me. Um, so since you brought it up, um, can you just talk a little bit about what you think anti-nursing racism looks like? Uh, anti-racist nurses. Yeah, I, know. Yes. I didn't know that was coming out of my mouth until I just said it. Um. Well, I love it. So, I think it's fantastic yeah. and I want to join. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 coin the phrase anti-racist or anti-racism nursing. Um, and so I will tell you that um, what that looks like for me is uh, an approach to health equity um, for all, and that means that we as nurses, again, no matter the context of what what or where you're nursing um, are continually looking at the ways in which um, systems, so um, an infrastructure that present barriers to a person um, achieving optimal health and wellness. Um, And so if we are looking at anti-racism nursing, it means that we are examining our practices, um, our advocacy levels, and the ways in which our biases may may influence how we provide care. That that's I think a first step at the definition. <laughs> I think that I think that's a pretty good first step. <laughs> So I want to be mindful of your time. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Um, You know, especially in the midst of all this, I know it's been exceptionally difficult for you. And then with your role, I'm sure you're being pulled in 50 different directions. (laughs) So I really appreciate 
the time that you gave us today. I appreciate being here. Um, I appreciate being pulled in 50 million directions uh, because the work is important. Um, again, I will restate that um, it is my hope that people don't forget this fight um, in a few weeks or a few months. Hello, Marion. Hello, Angela. How's it going? It's been better. Yeah, we're uh, living in some transformative times right now, and um, which allows for some very important and much-needed conversations. True. And we had a an amazing conversation the other day with Dr. Lisa Lewis, who is the Assistant Dean for Diversity and Inclusivity at Penn. And we talked with her about social justice and racism in the United States and anti-racism nursing. And it was a fantastic conversation and really, really important considering all the things that are going on right now. For sure. And if our listeners are interested in learning more about this topic, we are once again partnering with the Pennsylvania Action Coalition and their podcast, At the Core of Care, which highlights the experience of patients, families, and communities and the creative efforts of nurses. And they are releasing a pod, new podcast episode this week as well, interviewing two nursing students discussing social justice during the time of the pandemic, but also during these current demonstrations and how nurses are advocates in these areas. And really similar to the conversation we had with Dr. Lewis, how um, nurses um, can be stepping up during these times as well. That's awesome. I can't wait to listen to it. Yeah, so folks should go over to the Pennsylvania Action Coalition's website at paactioncoalition.org and take a listen to their episode. Amplify Nursing is hosted by Dr. Angela Rosa DiDonato and Marion Leary and produced by the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing with special thanks to our Department of Information Technology Services for their assistance. Music for the podcast was created by Harper Leary. The podcast is made possible by the Krista and Rich Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Follow us on Twitter at Penn Nursing. Until next time, keep pushing over, under, around, and through. We want to thank you for listening to the Amplify Nursing Podcast and remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. And if you can, please do us a solid and rate and review us as well. It will go a long way in amplifying our episodes.